0: Welcome to Shades and Justice Podcast. This is Dr. Evelyn Hill, and I am very excited to be able to introduce to you one of my dear friends. Her name is Miss Leticia Bell Hernandez. And I know this young lady from being an excellent graphic artist, excellent event planner. Excellent professional photographer, just to name a few of her many gifts, and I'm going to let her start by introducing herself, uh, where she works out, what are her passions for right now, and then we will go from there. Miss Leticia Hernandez, welcome.
1: Hello. Uh, I'm a little nervous on camera, so, but my name is Leticia Bell Hernandez. Um, I am a graphic designer, um, freelance, and I also work for a company by the name of Fastest Possible Printing on 3400 Paseo per sale. We're open from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Friday. Um, if you need any graphics or um, prints, just let me know. Stop on through. Um, one of my passions I would say is um, to be a sort of like an advocate or a motivational speaker for um, people who have been through trauma and some of the things that I've been through in my life, because I feel like, you know, sometimes there isn't an outlet for people to speak out. so. Um, it's hard to live a life when you're bottling things up and you don't have anyone to talk to. So even if you're not talking to somebody and you're just talking and they're listening, it'll still help. So I used to have a talk radio show about five years ago, and um, I can say that I probably helped a lot of people um, through that show. Um, However, it was discontinued for some reasons that was beyond my control, but um, other than that, I'm blessed and highly favored and happy to be on the show.
0: Well, Patricia, you just stepped into uh, the twilight zone of what we're doing here at Chains Injustice. We're in a brand new series called Breaking Layers of Injustice for Women, and so um, I have listened to your story before, and I want our audience to hear your story and it will be on the radio, just, just so you know. We'll be getting this on our YouTube channel and it will also go on a couple of radio stations also. So we are very excited to start this day with you as our special guest. So let's jump right into it. Can you describe what was your home life? like when you were a little girl, how did you, uh, how were you raised? What were some of the challenges of the day as a child? And if you had any wonderful, gleeful moments, be sure and share that also.
1: As a child, um, I was raised in maybe four different homes. Okay. So I began being raised with my mom till mm-hmm. I was about age seven. huh. Um, after my mom, I was then taken to my aunt's house to where I was raised for about four years. Okay. Four and a half, maybe five years. Mm-hmm. Then I left that aunt's house and I was raised at another aunt's house until I actually um, became an adult. Well, not an adult because these days I really don't consider 18 as an adult, <laughs> but I mean, I was pretty much on my own after that. I lived in my own home and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I went to a lot of different schools and um, I don't think I really made very many friends because of my transition um, through life. But I live several different places.
0: So why do do you believe that you had to keep moving as a child? What was was going on in your life that you felt like you had to keep your family, felt like they had to keep moving you around?
1: Well, first off, um, I was with my mom and my mom actually had gotten on drugs and my father as well so you know i lived with them until was no longer livable okay and it it really broke my heart that i had to you know depart from my parents but they could no longer care for me
0: okay and were you the only child oh no
1: not at that time i wasn't the only child there were actually five of us at that time
0: okay And so did your other siblings move? When you had to move, that meant everybody had to move?
1: Yes. Yes. And I mean, (laughs) how do I say this? So I moved with, yeah, we were split up into different places. Like I had a couple of sisters over here. I had a few sisters over there. I had a brother over here. And I had a sister over there. Like it was maybe like four different homes that we all were split up into.
0: Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. But that's good that you had somewhere to go. You were not just out on the street. Uh, Yeah. Okay, all right. Okay. (laughs) So at what age did you notice your life was in danger? Or
1: did you feel uncomfortable? Um, at the age of eight, I really started to feel uncomfortable with life. For number one, I wasn't with my mom, who I was with since I was, you know, a baby. And, mm-hmm. you know, my mom took really good care of me. She, you know, I ate dinner at the table with her, my father and my siblings every day. And we had all of the nice, greatest things you could ever want. Um And then all of a sudden it's just taken away. So um, I began to know that I was gonna have some issues when I wasn't um, connected with my mom anymore. I became disconnected. I moved in with an aunt and, you know, with living with an aunt came um, molestation.
0: Okay. So who molested you?
1: So I was molested by my aunt's boyfriend
0: for 4 years. And did did you tell her?
1: Um as a child, I mean I why would you tell? And the the thing is is that I didn't think I was supposed to. I didn't know. Uh at at some point I thought it was normal you know at the age of eight you know um, that's when it was like that he was kind of like coming in my room laying next to me touching on me and things like that and then you know as the year went on he progressed and he got worse and worse at you know every single thing that he did so Mm -hmm. um, at that point he never threatened me and told me that he would kill me or anything like that. He just made it seem like it was a normal thing to do, Mm
0: -hmm. you
1: know? And, um, he actually had, you know, he actually had children, which he had four other children and, you know, sometimes they would witness it and he pretty much had them thinking it was the normal thing to do. So, I don't know. Um, as I think about it, you know, that question is really deep because I didn't tell until I was 18. My uh-huh. family, I didn't tell my family till I was 18. And I'm holding a little baby in my arms that's a little girl that's mine. And it all started coming back to me because I actually took it to a place in my brain and I locked it up. I and I know I'm kind of jumping around because it's been a while since I've actually talked about this because you know it's traumatizing even talking about it because Mm
0: -hmm. with my
1: situation it affects a lot of people it affects my aunt it affects my cousins you know they hate me for it sometimes I can't voice my opinion I can't say anything because it's like a disgrace and an embarrassment to them so yeah I mean I didn't say anything. I felt like my aunt was gonna hate me if she knew. Once I started getting older, around 11 years old, I started thinking like, man, this is like super duper wrong. And I can't tell nobody because if I do, then what does that make me?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, sharing the, the emotions, the shame and the guilt somehow when you yourself was a victim, you were innocent, you did nothing wrong. It was the pervert who was the offender and the criminal in your case and in all cases when it comes to molestation of an eight year old baby and for them to normalize it. And it is often taken the wrong way with families. I remember as a little girl, one of the things that were said on a regular basis was, what goes on in this house stays in the house. And man, that was not a good thing to do, especially when you are being molested, your, your voice has been taken from you, your freedom, your innocence, so much has been taken. And yes, it is dramatic. And it's a shame. So I remember reading about Maya Angelou and she was molested at the age of eight by her mother's boyfriend. And she was switched around. She lived with her grandmother for a while and then with her mother for a while. Her story's pretty phenomenal also, but she took it a step further. When the young man that had raped her, her mother's boyfriend, He was sentenced to jail for one year and one day, which to me is our criminal justice system needs to do a better job. He at least should have been uh, in jail, in my opinion, 10 to 20 years, just straight out. Because if it had been a little white girl raped by a black man, what do you think? They would have lynched him or killed him or something. Nevertheless, uh, it was... uh, Noted that possibly her uncle killed this guy, and so when uh, Maya Angelou found out that the man had been killed, she just shut down. She quit talking. Period, for years. I think five years. She didn't say nothing because she said my voice causes death, and so it's so rare that that I see individuals who have been molested or raped, that they are able to put the blame and shame back on the offender, on the criminal. Instead, they take on that pain, the shame, the guilt, all of it. I think the two towers, the two twin towers of pain um, are both shame and guilt. And that's what I heard you express and what you were saying earlier. And so my next question for you is, what else, what are some of the other emotions that you went through after this incident? You got your, you're trying to protect your cousins. You, it's like you're protecting the offender, the, the, the criminal, and you couldn't talk. So what other emotions were, were you handling?
1: Well, you know, the biggest emotion that I handle from it is that even as a 42-year-old woman, it's still questionable to people, whether if they believe it or not. Mm. And, it, you know, in, even from like my, some of my cousins are say, well, if that really happened to you, then why you wait so long to tell everybody about it? Or, you know, just so many things, or like you probably wanted it, or, you know, it wasn't a problem when it was happening to you. So, why are you making it such a big issue now? You know, I get a lot of backlash from telling that story. So, I kind of try to keep it in. Mm -hmm. But a person in my shoes will never understand the trauma that I went through, just the thought of the things that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, like they wouldn't understand,
0: mm-hmm. they wouldn't
1: understand at all. Period,
0: yeah,
1: and I don't think that you can ever heal from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the emotions that I have, I'm over emotional, I'm very withdrawn from my family at times because I don't feel accepted by them. Mm-hmm. Because I don't feel normal. I don't feel like the normal person in the family. I feel like the black sheep of the family a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's just difficult to deal with. Another emotion that I feel is, I really don't have a lot of feelings towards men. I mean, I'm married. I've been married for 20 years and I love my husband, but he grew with me. I, I don't think that I, I don't like to attach myself to men like that. I, I think that if I wasn't married, I'd probably be the biggest dog on earth just going around doing horrible things to men because I felt like a man did something horrible to me. And that's horrible.
0: Mm-hmm. It's horrible well, I to understand. feel that way. Yeah, I understand that. I, I totally understand it. I think along with the twin powers of shame and guilt or the gatekeepers, of pain, which is isolation, seclusion, and silence. Isolation, seclusion, and silence. And, you know, there's a scripture that says the thief cometh to kill, steal, and destroy. And then it twitches up and turns over and says, but I have come being Jesus to give you life and that more abundantly. And so the only healing, the only hope uh, after such an act to such a young child, with all of the trauma and all the scarring that has been done is only through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for those that are not religious, uh, this is a stretch I understand, but you gotta have hope and faith in something. So why not try Jesus? So Leticia, I am so thankful for you sharing the pain, the anxiety, the isolation you yourself put yourself in, the silence you committed to yourself because nobody could accept the truth. Let, let me say something, let me be very clear. The truth is the truth. I don't care who can't accept it. So many pastors have been accused of sexual abuse uh, in, in organizations, large and small, men and others have been accused of sexual abuse and they don't want to accept it. But the truth is the truth. I mean, you are part of the Me Too movement as far as I'm concerned. It didn't really take place. A black woman is the one who brought it up but the real Me Too movement didn't really take wings and begin to fly until some white actresses Begin to share about Weinstein and how he required them to have sex with them in order to be in so many movies. And that's just one sick example of what's been happening in our communities and around the world. Even R. Kelly and many others, uh, Bill Cosby, many others have been guilty of sexual abuse, unwilling to be accountable, families are trying to protect them and all that. But the truth is the truth. I don't care who don't like it. And so the truth will set you free and make you free. So stand on your truth. So I didn't mean to turn that into all that, but let me ask (laughs) you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. What are some of the effects of the traumatic experience? What are some of your triggers? You said a little bit of a little bit of it when you described how you don't get real close to men you've been married 20 years but this is evidently a special man because he's able to hang but tell me and tell our audience what are some of your triggers um
1: I have so many triggers like um I consider myself to be like an average type woman so when it comes to being attractive and you know each and every time a guy tries to talk to me or be nice to me I'm thinking in my head the whole time you know you just want sex from me that's all you want Mm -hmm. and so you know that that it it just takes me it takes me back Mm -hmm. you know even even with my husband sometimes I'm I I often wonder like Am I on this, I put on this earth just to have sex all, with people? Like, is, is this my purpose? Is this a goal? Like, why do we have to do this? So I'm kind of like, in that area, I get real messed up. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I am like 43. And I, I said, they say most women come into their sexuality when they're in their late 30s, early 40s. And you know, it's hard for me to even like break barriers. Like I still get embarrassed, you know, for little things like taking my clothes off, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's really a hard thing for me. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't know. I, I just think that, you know, that sexual, stuff is a trigger period for me like it's a okay. trigger to, yeah it's
0: it's just it's not good you know it's just and I, I can understand that I, I mean I can understand that because of what happened to you at such a young age did did you ever report a sexual assault to the police I mean after when you were 18 was the, when you were 18 and you had the baby was this baby his baby the, the one who had sexually assaulted you for years?
1: Um, you know, I told when I was 18, about the time I was 25, I, I was living very fairly close to my aunt. Okay. And I, I, I started to um, see him again. Okay. She never stopped him from coming around. And it started to re-trigger things in me. And you know, I've gotten into like big arguments with my aunt, told her she doesn't love me. And I, I know she does, but you know, I. when I was 25, I'll just say this, when I was 25, I wanted to come out with it. So, you know, I went to the police and my cousin, which was his daughter you know, she backed me up. She said, you know, if we take this to court, I'm i going to testify on your side. I'm on your side. And, you know, like, in the midst of all that going on, my cousin, her and her mom, and her, her family, they were relocating to a new house, and they were unpacking their U-Haul. And, you know, my cousin, she got shot and killed.
0: Oh, my.
1: And... Every single day of my life till now, I still feel like it's my fault because I feel like, you know, I I put all that traumatic stuff in her life. She was only 17. She was about to graduate from high school. She was gonna leave Kansas and become a a brain, a neurologist, or I I Neo, I don't know, I don't remember exactly, but she was gonna become somebody great because she was a very special person. And, you know, that just said, okay. You opened your mouth again and then now look what happened. So, you know, it's it's horrible. And, you know, a lot of people say, you know, who's to say she was actually calling the drive-by? Maybe he killed her. Who knows? All I know is that when before she passed, the day before she called me and she said to me, she said, you know, my mama made me call my daddy and ask him for money for a U-Haul truck. And my daddy told me that I was dead to him. And that just sticks with me and sticks with me and sticks with me. And I don't think it'll ever go away. And Mm -hmm. I feel guilty every single time I think about it because I feel like I put that on her just because of my trauma. So I am. I try to stay silent about it. I try not to talk about it. But I'm an open book. I want to talk about it. I want to put awareness out there. I want people to understand that it's wrong. I want people to know that, you know, even though, you know, your family is against you on it, it is it's your truth and you need to stand in it. But it's really hard because I have taken some very traumatic losses, you know, and I feel like it's all because of that.
0: Well, I, want, I, I just, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I want to confirm again, you are innocent. You were not the one to kill her. It's not because of you that she is dead. That, that is not you. And so if I can be one of millions to say to you, it wasn't your fault, it's not because of you. You are an innocent party. Even though I know over the years you have taken on that blame Uh, And taking on that guilt, but you are the innocent party. I'm gonna switch over. We, I'm gonna take. I, I, we may have to come back again because this is true talk, and that's what we need. We need people to be honest. How have your children? How have you trained your children? What joys have they brought into your life? Talk about that. You excited me just hearing about things you did different with your children. And what
1: your parents did with you. Um, from day one, when I when I had that little baby, the the very first child, um, I just thought to myself, I'm gonna give this child every single thing that I never had. And the first thing I'm gonna start with is love. And I tell you, I love that little baby so much. I took her everywhere with me. We did everything together. We grew up together and now uh-huh. we can't stand each other but she knows (laughs) I love her. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) with my children, um, I kind of took a different approach. Um, Even though I had a daughter, my oldest daughter was an artist. And so her face was often seen and they saw the makeup and they saw the dancing and the singing. But in real life, she was a very, very quiet, um girl and you know she was nothing like her her singing character Uh and i i I just raised her with you know morals like you have to be this and own up to it you can't be this and do that like that's not gonna work (laughs) yeah yeah you know i was just always honest with my children about my life and i protected those girls with my life no men were allowed to spend a night in my house. My husband barely bought his friends there. I didn't trust anyone around my girls. I went skating with my girls, and you know, their friends and their aunties and cousins, they won't hang around my girls because they said, Y'all gotta take your mama everywhere with y'all. Mm-hmm. And it was it, it was just a protection that I had built up, you know. And I wasn't a perfect mom because of my traumas. I did make some mistakes, but I think I did a really good I think I did a really good job, you know, as far as what I've been through. So, you know, I shelter my girls. Um, my girls are still at home with me and they're they're young adults and um I'm not pressuring them to jump into the world like I had to. Um cuz there's a lot of scary things out there and you know, I just right. want them I keep it very honest with them and you know, my tradition of eating at the dinner table with my family for as long as I could do it until the kids are like, okay, we're too grown now. We don't have to eat at the table if we don't want to. (laughs) I kept that tradition alive because I think people don't understand the most important time stems at dinner time.
0: That's right. That
1: is the best time to have everybody together as one. And, you know, I still have meetings with my children. We have a family meeting. It's a you know, my kids still think we gotta have family night. I'm like, you guys are grown, like why do we need to have family night? We need to have family night twice a month. You know, they they wanna be around, they're so used to being with me, they they wanna yes. be there. And family yeah. is very important to them. And I, I have a daughter that's uh, 17 uh-huh. Ooh, but last year in high school my last kid yeah all, right. all <laughs> right she's my adopted child actually and we don't see difference there's uh-huh. no difference it's still my child and you know i had to teach my other two children how to love her because uh-huh. they didn't understand yeah but then yeah. me then and again here i am with the same story as her so I can relate to her better than I can relate to anybody in my house. <laughs> she's, she's been through yes. the things that I went through. Yes. And I love her dearly. And she's such a sweet, um, her her soul is like unheard of. It's, you know, she's she's everything, mm-hmm. especially to me. And my children are everything, too, because they see this, they're going to be like, Mom, what you mean she's everything? What about <laughs> us? So, yeah, My kids are very spoiled, but they're not spoiled with material things. They're spoiled with love. is yes. the main ingredient to raising a child. And yes. I won't tell anybody that.
0: And I absolutely agree. And I want to say I made lots of mistakes with my children. They'll be saying, if they were here, they will be saying, amen. And, uh, <laughs> we, and I've apologized a thousand times to them because there were many mistakes i made, but I'm just grateful to still be able to have a positive impact on my family now and do some things uh, with my grandkids. I didn't take time not to do with my kids, so. Uh, We we live and we learn. Literally, we live and we learn. I appreciate you on today. I want to say two things. It takes courage to give a testimony like you just gave today, and we saw the emotions well up in you, and then we saw the joy as you begin to talk about your girl, so thank you for sharing these um, uh, incredible moments with us today at the shades and justice podcast and before we leave i'd like to encourage our um audience and i want you to get ready leticia because you may want to have a couple of words to say before we end to anyone who is struggling like in areas like you are what they can do but first of all there is a, a 800 hotline number for anyone who needs help in the area of rape abuse and incest. That number is 1-800-656-HOPE. 1-800-656-HOPE. And that would, the HOPE is 1-800-656-4673. And that's with the uh, RAIN, R-A-I-N, which is Rape, In- Rape Abuse Incest National Association. So uh, we want wanted, uh, be sure and leave you with that i want everyone to know that you are loved you're appreciated and you are not guilty it's not your fault i will keep saying it you are not the one to accept the blame and shame and we're going to kick all that in the butt and <laughs> we're going to say from now on you are Not the victim, but the victor. And you got to say it and believe it now. Ms. Latricia, what words of encouragement would you share with anyone that may be listening to this podcast?
1: Words of encouragement for anyone who's actually listening to this podcast is, you know, life actually does go on. Um, Learning to pick up the pieces is one of the biggest things, the biggest challenges um, that you have to endure. But I mean, don't give up. Find something that you love and, you know, bury yourself in it and become great at what you do and always be truthful and honest with yourself. It doesn't matter, you know, how honest someone think you are as long as you're honest and truthful with yourself and you know then that's all that matters and i would also like to say um, prayer is a great solution um for peace and you
0: know pretty much god bless all right, Letricia, you have been a wonderful guest on today. Thank you for sharing with our Shades and, po- and Justice podcast. We look forward, we want all of our listeners to know we're at www.doctorevelinhill.net. Stop by again. We will have Latricia back with us to share in Shades and Justice podcast. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a good day.